before we get to the meat of what we're looking at tonight is there's a reminder in verse verses one and two um, that there are many who would try and predict when the Lord is going to return. And um, actually, we'll just read the whole passage first and then we'll come to that um, in a second. So we'll read from chapter five and verse one of First Thessalonians. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So, as I say, before we get into what this passage is really about, um, there's a, um, a simple reminder at the start of, of this passage not to be obsessed with trying to work out when the end times are coming or when Jesus is going to return. Because we see that today, that we see plenty of people who, who think they can predict these things and who, who say there are signs that point to a certain date when the Lord's going to return. And for some people, it seems to consume them. But we're, we're not to be like that. We're, we're told that the Thessalonians weren't like that. And we're not to be to be worrying ourselves about those things. Um, we read that in, in Matthew 25, and verse 36, we read that even the son, even Jesus himself, doesn't know the date or the hour. It says about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So if God, the son, doesn't know the date of, of his return, then that should be good enough for us not to be worrying ourselves about it and obsessing over it, but rather just looking forward to it in a sense of, of hope and um, a sense of wonder. So, as we said, there's a brief reference in verse three to the end times. It says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So last week we were looking at the rapture and that's that deals with those of us who are the church, the body, those of us who have accepted Jesus as our saviour, being called to the air to, to be with Jesus. So that's clear then that we, we escape the destruction that's being talked about in verse three here. Um, it's not something that concerns us as those who are saved, but we have to ask ourselves, what does it refer to? Um, the obvious point is that it means there will be destruction for some, and that's a sobering thought for us. Um, it's something that is scary to be to be frank it's something that should should um cause some kind of discomfort when we read it but um it's perhaps a good idea just to consider what will happen after after the rapture has happened and obviously looking at the um the prophecies that we have in in daniel and in revelation it's, it's a whole study in itself and i'm not going to claim to 
to fully understand any of it, of course, and it's 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 something you could spend hours on, but it's perhaps just worth outlining the the reference to destruction that's there, just outlining what what God's plan is for um, for the end times. So what can we know about the end times that um, that are referenced here? Um, we know that there'll be someone called the Antichrist who comes, who rises to power. And we can read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1 to 4, we can read about a little about the Antichrist. Um, so that passage, 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 1 to 4 says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So that's a clear reference that before any of the other things happen that we'll, we'll get to in a second, there will be someone who, who rises up and is, um, is called in this passage, the man of lawlessness, the man doomed to destruction. And in other places, um, he's called other things, but we often refer to him as the Antichrist. And this is someone who seemingly will create peace in the world and, and will um, bring about a, a time of peace. And, and perhaps that's what the reference is in verse three, as we read, when people are saying peace and safety. Perhaps that's a reference to this man, the Antichrist, who will seemingly um, bring peace to the world. But we know that that peace will be short lived. Um, so that's the Antichrist who will come after the rapture. And we read that um, we, we also read in Daniel about these 70 weeks. Daniel chapter nine outlines these um, this period of 70 weeks, which is 70 periods of seven years. And Daniel's 70th week, as it's often called, is, is known as the tribulation. And this is a period of seven years, which will happen after the rapture, as we're told in Daniel, and, and we can um, bring in parts of Revelation as well. Um, so we know that it'll be a time of trouble and suffering. And we know that, after, that halfway through this period of seven years, the Antichrist will break his covenant, his, his deal that, that brings peace, and we know that there'll be much suffering in the second half of this seven year period. So we've we've read about the Antichrist. We've read about this period of seven years called the tribulation. Um, and within this period, there'll be um, there'll be wars and there'll be famines and there'll be death. We're told in Revelation six, um, something that presumably many of us will have heard of and, and perhaps all of us will have heard of. The, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are spoken about in Revelation 6. And there's no denying that Revelation is a difficult thing to understand, but we understand that the, the four horsemen spoken of in Revelation 6 refer to a false Christ, which could be the Antichrist, um, refer to wars, famines, and death. So this, this will occur in this seven-year this seven period that we've been thinking of in the tribulation. We'll have the false Christ, wars, famines and death, and it will be a time of suffering. Um, 
At the end of this, we read, we read in Matthew 24 and verse 30 that Jesus will return for his people, that Jesus will come to the earth for his people, the Jews. And then in Revelation 20, we read of a thousand year reign where the Lord Jesus reigns on the earth for a thousand years. And then after that time, there'll be a final battle um, where Jesus will, will conquer. And then we'll have the judgment of, of all people living and dead and a new heaven, and a new earth. So we rattled through that quite quick. That's, as I say, a whole study in itself to look at all those things. But um, it's clear that God has a plan for, um, for the end times. And it's, it's meticulously laid out here. And what's clear is that there will be some who will be saved and some who will be doomed to destruction. Um, and as we thought, that's, that's a distressing thing to think about. It's, it's an uncomfortable thing for us to think about. The idea that some will be subject to this destruction. Just to say as well that that doesn't mean that people will be wiped from existence. Perhaps sometimes we think of destruction as being totally wiped from existence. But we read another sobering verse in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So it's not a, a wiping from existence, but it's exclusion from the presence of the Lord. And um, we can think of that as being a destruction of a kind, because it means that um, everything in life has been brought to ruin because ultimately um, some will be excluded from the Lord's presence, which is a, a scary thought to, to dwell on. So, again, difficult reading there, but it's something that we can't shy away from as disciples of the Lord Jesus. Um, in fact, these things should cause us to value the gospel even more because we see what we've been saved from and we see the eternity that's ours instead. And it should cause us to value the gospel and to, to want to share the gospel even more. So that's, that's verse three, touching on um, the idea of destruction for some and salvation for others. Um, and we're not, as we thought, we're not to bury our heads in the sand about these things. But the, the following verses tell us that we're to live in the light and to live in the day. So turning to that now, that idea of living in the light. Um, to my mind, there are three ways of looking at that. Um, we can consider it as living illuminated, or in other words, living with knowledge, living knowing what's, go what's going on and uh, not in the dark about things. So living illuminated, living as the light of the world is the second way of looking at it. Um, as we read in Matthew 5, um, we're the light of the world and we're to, to let our light shine before others. Um, so living illuminated, living as the light of the world. And thirdly, there's this idea of working in the day before the night comes. And we'll, we'll touch on that shortly. So first of all, living illuminated, living with knowledge. Um, looking at the end of chapter four that we covered last week, it ought to have had a big impact on the Thessalonian Christians and how they lived their lives. This, this knowledge that they now have that um, one day Christ would be returning for them and perhaps one day soon in their minds, um, it ought to have had a big impact on, on how they lived. And it's the same for us too, knowing that Christ has died for us and one day we'll be taken to be with him this should give us an untouchable joy and a hope for the present and a hope for our life now. As we read in verse eight, it says, putting on faith and love as a breastplate 
and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Um, that that symbolism that symbolism is saying that we should be living with a a joy and a hope because of the salvation that we have. And this only comes from knowing God and knowing the glory of God and and the hope of the salvation that we have. Um, so. In keeping with that thought of living illuminated, living with knowledge of God. Um, verse six says, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. So awake there has a sense of being watchful, being um, waiting for something to happen. And because we have this knowledge that one day Christ is coming back for us, we're waiting for that return and we're, we're to be watchful for that return. But perhaps that's something where we can struggle sometimes. Perhaps we don't always live as though we're people who are waiting for a returning saviour. And it's, it's just a challenge to ask ourselves, how much time and effort do we invest into things which are just material or things that won't last? Um, we know that Jesus told his listeners to store up treasures for themselves in heaven. And this is something that we're to do as we're awake to the, the idea that one day Jesus is coming back. We're to store up treasures for ourselves in heaven, which are eternal. So just the challenge there, are we awake to the return of the Lord Jesus? And then the third uh, point of being illuminated in this way, are we illuminated in our Bible knowledge? Um, we're, we're told in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, always to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's within us. So it's just to ask ourselves, really, are we equipped to, to do this so we're equipped to shine our light into the world do we have that um that light of the knowledge of of our bibles that we can share with other people and be prepared to give an answer so that's living illuminated um, the second aspect that i want to look at in in this passage is being the light of the world um, verse five speaks of being children of the light and this is another way in which we can we can be that being the light of the world uh, Ephesians 5 and verses 8 to 10 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So it's this idea that as saved Christians, as disciples of the Lord Jesus, we transition from a life of darkness to a life of light. And this is something that we read about through the whole New Testament, this idea of turning from darkness to light. And it requires a new way of living from us. Um, if we read in, in verse six of our passage, Thessalonians five and six, it says, let us not be like others. So that's a clear call for us to be to be different, to be different from those around us. And as light contrasts darkness, we're to contrast with um, how this world lives. Um, we might call it going against the grain, but it, it's it's something that should be obvious to, to others and, and something that should be a challenge to ourselves to to be different from the world around us as we as we live in the light, not in the darkness, as, as we think of it. And the, the template for this is that classic um, passage from Philippians chapter two, um, verses one to eight, which says, therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. 
do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So this description of the Lord Jesus is what we should be, be doing as, as imitators of him, as those who want to be living in the light. Um, this is our template for being the light of the world, and we should be, um, we should be humble and, and, self, and serving of others, just as Jesus was as he was on this earth. So um, just a challenge for us there to, to be the light of the world and to, to live in that different way that we're called to, to live. So the, the third way in which we can look at this idea of being children of the light or children of the day is, um, is thinking of it as though we're working in the day and there's, there's nighttime coming. So um, verse seven in our passage says, those who sleep, sleep at night and those who drunk who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Um, in John 9 and verse 4, Jesus said of himself, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And this is, um, this is something we can apply to ourselves too. We can think of our current age, um, often called the church age or the, the age of grace, as, as the daytime where we, we have this short window where we can do work for God, where we can tell people about his gospel, where we can serve God in lots of different ways. But as Jesus said in that verse, um, night is coming for us. And we know that one day soon, um, Christ is coming back to this earth. And we can think of that as, as the end of our, our day's work, if you like. Um, so it's, it's really a, just a call for us to be active whilst, whilst it's daytime whilst we're in this day of grace, because we anticipate that it's coming to an end. So um, we're to be those who are working in the day, working hard for the Lord, and, and as we thought, storing our treasures in heaven, um, whilst we have the opportunity. So there's the, th the three things that are to do with being um, children of the day. We have uh, living illuminated in, in the knowledge of, of the gospel, being the light of the world in, in our, our living for God, and working in the day before the night time comes, um, anticipating that one day soon we, we won't be able to work for God in this earth because the Lord Jesus will be returning for us. So finally, um, turning to verses 9 to 11 of our passage, um, it's really a reminder to um, the readers or the hearers of this, that um, a reminder of the gospel and a reminder that we're to encourage each other with the gospel. Um, is similar to the end of chapter four, where in chapter four, verse 18, um, it says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then in verse five, 11, it says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So um, Paul has, has reminded them of what awaits them in, in verses nine and 10. Um, he's reminded them of their salvation and that one day, um, Christ is going to return for them. So, um, 
he summarized the good news for us there. Um, perhaps sometimes we can get really confused by some of the, the prophecy and the end times things in, in God's word. Um, some of them are very difficult to, to understand, aren't they? But we have a, a summary here in verses 9 and 10 of, of just the overall um, message for us to, to remember that Christ died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. So that's just a reminder that since we have a different perspective on this life, we should be building each other up in spiritual things and not worrying about the material things. As Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And that's really the, the message for us here. Since we have this different perspective and we're living in the light and not in the darkness, um, we're to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And we're to encourage one another in talking about the gospel. Um, when we think about the rapture and, and Jesus returning to earth and his reign on this earth, it refreshes our perspective, doesn't it? And it causes us to set our eyes on eternity and on God. And it can draw us out of a, a short um, a short term focus that we can often have. And it can cause us once again to, to renew our appreciation for God. And um, as I say, re renew our focus on eternity. And it's something that we can encourage each other in as we have conversations with each other. Um, how often do we do we talk about the gospel with each other? And how often do we we look ahead and look forward to to what's coming for us? It's something that we can really encourage each other with, particularly in the church, um, as we have conversations with each other. We can we can really encourage each other by thinking about um, what awaits us and thinking about the gospel that we have, and it can spur each other on, and it can help it can help each other in running the race as we often think of it. So um, that's, that's verses 9 to 11, really, just to um, remind us to encourage each other with, with what awaits us and with the, the prospect that we have and the hope that we have. Um, and just to finish, I thought we could just um, end with an encouraging verse from, from Revelation chapter 21. It's Revelation 21 and verses 3 and 4. And it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. But the old order of things has passed away. And this is something that's right at the end of, um, right towards the end of the book of Revelation, where, where all things have, um, have, have come to pass. And we read of, of God's reign over all creation. And it's just a, an encouraging thing for us to focus on and something for us to um, be dwelling on always. This idea that one day we'll be called to be with God forever. And it's something that should shape us now and should impact the way we live now for God. Because um, as we've been thinking, we're in this, this age of, of grace, which won't be forever. But we know that we can make a difference for God and one day we'll be called to be with him for all eternity. Thanks.